Good morning, all. Nice to see everybody this morning. Won't you stand and join us as we worship this morning?
Morning. Morning. How everybody doing? I know that's right. I know that's right. Thank God for his forgiveness. And Lord knows we need him every day. Every day. Every day. Well, this morning I want to go ahead and if anybody's online that want to tie, go to the bridge, www.bridge.com and go to give and you can give online. For those that are visiting with us, we have the little blue box here at the booth and uh, as you go outside the door, there's a, another box there. And we have these cards here for the visitors so we can know that you visit with us and then we'd like to be, be able to keep up with your, you know, coming and going with us. So anybody have anything they want to uh, you know, pray request, prayer requests or praise requests or praise? So why stop? <laughs> yeah, well, well, we don't have no control of that. Uh, I know. Yeah. This is a really hard morning for us. We found on our way over here for Sunday school that our niece is on life support, and she's only in her forties. She collapsed yesterday morning from a heart attack. She's had health issues, but it's just very tragic because she has three children from three different men, and um, it just, I pray for her. She's not going to live. They're taking her off life support today. I don't know her salvation, and as Linda said earlier, maybe she, at the last minute, reached to Christ like this thief did on the cross. So please pray for her family. Her mother is also very, very, very sick, and I know this is incredibly hard for her. And uh, her mother's in North Carolina in the mountains. And uh, so her daughter's going to pass away without her ever being able to hold her one more time. So thank you. All right. All right. good to be back. Uh, I just want to share with the church that uh, God is good all the time, every, everywhere. And oftentimes when you're, when you're uh, in the, among the military, you have to be very careful on uh, when you choose or when, when you choose to share your faith. You have to be very careful. But God is faithful. Uh, I, I had the privilege and, and, and honor to witness to a young lieutenant uh, last Thursday evening. And you could see it in his eyes. And it started over, believe it or not, it started over a, a, a conversation about politics. <laughs> but it led to a topic about Jesus. And I thank God that he gave me that opportunity and more importantly, the boldness, regardless of the circumstances of where we were in, in, in a training environment. So I, I would ask you to, that you would pray for Lieutenant Villarreal, uh, a single guy, 22 years old, and he is searching. And the, the word says that God's word will not return void. So let, I would just ask that you pray for Lieutenant V. That's what I called him because I probably botched his name. It had more letters than mine. But anyway, uh, but Lieutenant V, and pray that the Spirit will, will convict his heart 
and and uh, who knows what God will do. Thanks. Anybody else? Bunny. Mike, pray for Sheila. She's got chemo this week, and then she'll have it again in two more weeks. Uh, yeah. So she has a rough couple weeks coming ahead. All right, let's pray for Miss Sheila. Yeah, let's pray. Uh, keep in prayer for all our church families not present. It's important for us to keep praying for one another, not only uh, locally in our local home church, but uh, across the world. It's important for us to have a worldview and what's going on in the world today. Because Christianity is not just here, it's, it's everywhere. And uh, the Word of God is, is everywhere. So uh, let's, let's keep them lifted up in prayer and, and uh, with Bill as well, um, our servicemen and women abroad. They do so much for us. So uh, let's just keep praying hard. Anybody else? All right, we're going to go to prayer. You want to leave? Okay, okay. All right. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and this opportunity, Lord, to come to your house to worship and serve. Lord, we ask that you be with our church family, wherever they may be, Lord, with the church body, Lord, that is yours, Lord. We ask you that you just lift it up before you, Lord, and glorify it. Lord, we ask that you be with all the names that was lifted up in prayer, Lord, and to bless them and to comfort them, Lord, and give them the things that they need most from you, Lord, and ask that you be with the pastor as he brings the word. Open our hearts and our minds, Lord, to increase, Lord, in you. In Christ's name, amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance. From my enemies Till all my fears are gone Well, I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear Chosen me, but I. 
Who breaks the power of sin and darkness Whose love is mighty and so much stronger King of glory, the King above all kings Who shares the whole earth with holy thunder And leaves us breathless and all in wonder King of glory, the King above all kings This is amazing
morning. You have your Bibles with you this morning. Would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 13? The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 13. What a beautiful crowd this morning. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of our God. How about you? We're, we're, we're really kind of dealing with that subject this morning from our text. Have you ever wondered... <clears throat> I hope you've experienced it, but have you ever wondered what it would be like to go to church with Jesus? I, I mean, to go to church where Jesus shows up. The disciples of the Lord had the privilege, the opportunity of going to the synagogue with Jesus throughout his ministry. We read of one of those occasions in Luke chapter number 13. Let us read together beginning in verse number 10. And the Bible says, And he, he being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues, on the Sabbath day. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity. Eighteen years. And was bowed together. And could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her. He called her to him. And said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Y'all just missed a good place to shout. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And boy, I'd really like to stop right there and just start preaching. But, but that's not the end of this church service. You really want to avoid the rest of the text, but Jesus had to deal with it, so I guess we ought to as well. Verse 14 says, And the ruler of the synagogue, church leadership, answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, <clears throat> There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him, and boy, I could stop and preach another sermon right here, and said, Thou hypocrite, doeth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass? From the stall and lead him away to watering. And ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham. Whom Satan hath bound lo these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. And when he had said these things all his adversaries were ashamed. 
And all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, not only to be able to come to church, but to believe and know that we're coming to church where Jesus shows up. And Father, we pray that as we camp out in your word, that you'd be pleased to tabernacle with us. Illuminate our hearts and our minds that we might receive the truth, be challenged by it, changed according to it, that we might become more like you today than what we were yesterday. We realize our insufficiency, our inabilities, our every inadequacy. So God, we ask you for grace. Illumination of the Spirit of God. Clarity of thought, mind, and speech. The anointing of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. What, what, what can you expect? What can you anticipate when given the opportunity to go to church with Jesus? I, I want to say first that where Jesus goes to church. There is a preeminence placed on preaching. By the way, let me say this. If, if you want to hang out with Jesus, church is a good place to go to. Amen. I mean, I know that the Lord cannot be confined to a building. But isn't it interesting that in Scripture, on the Sabbath, you'd find Jesus in the synagogue. In fact, if you were to flip back to Luke chapter number 4, you'd read in verse number 16 that he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Jesus made it a habit of going to church. If you and I are to take on the mind of Christ, it ought to be our custom to be in the house of God on the Lord's day. That's a good place to meet Jesus, amen? I just believe that Jesus will do something for you here that he might not do through the airwaves. He certainly does something supernatural in the life of this lady but, but notice that whenever you find Jesus in church, he places a great emphasis on the teaching. That's what he's doing here. On this Sabbath, he's teaching in one of the synagogues. You can do a lot of hollering and spitting and still not be teaching. We need to be taught the word. 
In fact, Nehemiah chapter number 8, verse 8 says that they read from the book in the law of God and gave the sense and caused them, caused the people to understand the reading. When we come to church, we ought to take something home with us. We ought to hear from heaven in such a way that we can not only understand the word, but apply it to our lives when we get back to the house, back to the real world. Jesus placed a great emphasis on teaching. Hey, could I say this? He took time to teach. I'm an emotional person. And I can be, get excited when it comes to preaching the word of God. That excites me. It thrills me. There's nothing that I'd rather be doing on a Sunday morning in the house of God than preaching his word. But if all we get while we're here is zeal, and we don't leave with something to change our lives, then we've not been taught. You see, when people went to church with Jesus, they left different than what they arrived. And it was the word, not the miracles, that made the difference in their lives. So we read this dramatic story and this wonderful encounter where Jesus works this phenomenal miracle, but the very first thing that we read is that he was teaching in the synagogues. I'm trusting, I'm believing that those of you who attended Sunday school this morning, you learned something while you were in there. And if we spend the next four hours in here, and you leave without learning, then I have utterly failed you altogether. So when you go to church with Jesus, you can expect that there will be a preeminence placed on preaching, teaching the Word of God. By, by the way, why, why did you come to church this morning? We, we, should, we should come to church with hopes and anticipation of learning something that will change our lives. S secondly, if you really go to church with Jesus, you'll find him in the business of making crooked people straight. And straight people crooked. It's all laid out right here in the text. Notice the lady's condition in the church with Jesus on this Sunday morning. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. She was 
crippled. Crippled in more than one way or one fashion, though. According to the text, she was spiritually crippled. The text says she had a spirit of infirmity. And then if you drop down to verse number 16, the Bible says, Jesus said, ought this woman, ought not this woman, which being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound these 18 years. So her crippled condition was a spiritual condition inflicted by Satan. She wasn't only crippled spiritually, but it had a physical effect on her body. Now, we can get into trouble right here in one of two ways. One is to assume that every person who has a problem... It's because of a spiritual condition. That's, that's not always the case. But it would be a shame to assume that our, spirit, that our physical problems aren't related to a spiritual condition because sometimes they are. And that's the case with this woman in this text She's crippled spiritually, but it affects her physically. She's bowed down. The text literally says bowed together. The grammar has the idea of communicating she's bowed together. She's doubled over. You ever seen anybody who was bowed together, bowed down, doubled over? You ever been doubled over in pain? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's almost, this is a picture of this woman, not for a moment or an hour or a day, a week, or even a year, But for 18 years, this is her life. Can you imagine walking around 18 years like this? And Scripture makes it clear she could not. It was impossible for her to lift up herself. It wasn't that she didn't try. She tried and she couldn't. Probably wasn't that she didn't even go to a doctor, but she probably went to a doctor and the doctor couldn't lift her up. And for 18 years, this is her life. She's spiritually, physically, and I believe emotionally been over. Why do you say emotionally? Well, when you come to the place... That you can't lift yourself up. That has an emotional effect on your well-being. 
could I say it this way, she was helpless. She couldn't even help herself. You ever asked or wondered or questioned, why don't you just straighten up? Because she couldn't. She did not have the power to overcome the satanic affliction on her life. The text did not say she wouldn't. It said she couldn't. And we're expecting people to do what they can't do in and of and for themselves. Now, this would be a real good time to point out that when you came to Jesus, you came as a cripple who could not lift up himself. If you could have got yourself up, you'd have never came to Jesus. You, You see, you wouldn't be in church this morning if you thought you could do it all on your own. I came here knowing today that there's places that I still come to. Hey, this wasn't a woman with no faith. Jesus said she's a daughter of Abraham. We're not talking about somebody out in secular society. We're talking about somebody in the church house. And she's all crippled up. All bent over. She's helpless, but she's not hopeless. What do you mean she's not hopeless? Not only could we say that she was crippled, but I want to point out something that we might often miss in this text. She was committed no matter how crippled she was. The Bible says... In verse number, eleven, and behold, there was a woman. The word behold, it's an attention getter, if you will. It says to the hearer or to the reader, you want to pay attention right here. Look, I'm about to show you something. You hear preachers say, watch this. That's what Luke is saying in our text. Behold, watch this. The, the term is it's usually designated to remarkable moments. To significant situations, even supernatural encounters. In fact, it was the word used for the announcement of angels in the New Testament. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 2, verse number 13, Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Matthew says, watch this. There was an angel came down from heaven and he invaded Joseph's sleep and gave him a dream. Boy, that's big news, ain't it? 
And, and then it was also utilized for one of the most grand and glorious events in all of the Bible. When Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says, Behold, watch this, look something supernatural is about to happen. A virgin shall be with child and bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Behold, God's coming down from heaven through the womb of a woman. And then the word was employed again to announce the presence of God the Father at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew uses the word in our King James Version Bible. It's low, but it's the same word in the Greek. Behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The word just seems to be set apart for those significant, special, supernatural occasions in Scripture. It was also used in Matthew chapter 17 at the transfiguration of Jesus. The Bible says, while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And here again, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear you Him. So the, the, the word behold, it, it would seem to me, is the author's way of telling us something uncommon is taking place, but something worth paying attention to. Why would the word be employed in reference not to an angel or God coming down from heaven? But the text says, Behold, a woman. I think that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to use that word behold because of where this woman was considering the condition that she was in. Behold, there was a woman. Where was this woman? Where you expect to find sick people on a Sunday morning? We might expect... To find a sick person on a Sunday morning, 
over at Novant or, or, or in Wilmington at New Hanover or laying on their couch watching TV. But this woman who is doubled over, unable to lift herself up without a church van, without a Cadillac or an Escalade to crawl into, not even a wheelchair to get her into the house of God. Can you see her? Can you, can you close your eyes and picture how difficult it was for this woman not only to get out of the bed, but to put her clothes on? Behold a woman with an infirmity that she had battled with for 18 years. You see, I told you, I'm glad when I come to church, I can expect, I can anticipate, I can count on the fact that Jesus is going to be here. But boy, isn't it good to also know, behold, there's a woman. That though she's been over, and can't even lift herself up. She can make her way to the house of God on a Sunday morning. She's not laying at home making excuses. And God honored that and said through the pen of the physician Luke, Behold, there was a woman with an issue of blood. Eight years now now we know some things about this woman's condition Michael what I mean is we know what it was or at least the symptoms of it the, the, the physician the doctor Luke tells us she was bowed together I mean, this, 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 is, this is her life. This is how she lives for 18 years. She ain't seen a sunrise in 18 years. She, she, ain't, she ain't seen a star in the sky for 18 years. She's not had a conversation eyeball to eyeball, face to face. For 18 years, she's been looking at people's feet. Charles Spurgeon said of this woman, it's as though she spent 18 years looking for a grave. And probably at times thought it would make her glad to find it. And she's still struggling along, shuffling along. Y'all ever seen anybody come to church like this? They come every Sunday. Every Sunday. You see, we're told the symptoms. We're even told the source. Jesus said she was bound by Satan. The devil done it to her. 
What we're not told is the means or the method that he employed to bring about her bentness. Luke's a doctor. Ain't doctors in the business of telling us why we are the way we are? I mean, was it, was it an accident? Did, did she slip on a banana peel? Did, did he trip her walking through the supermarket? Did, did he inflict some kind of disease on her that caused the curvature in her spine? Maybe she just carried some load for so long that it finally broke her down to where she couldn't get back. We're not told how. And I don't believe that's Luke's fault. I believe that's by divine design. Because you see, the Holy Ghost, he knows that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. What I mean, Bill, is what gets me bent out of shape might not bother you. What gets me all hunkered down and bent over, you may be able to handle. But fact of the matter is, the devil has a way of getting all of us crooked. I mean, he knows what buttons to push at Billy's house and at my house, but the ones he pushes at my house don't bother Billy's house. But get me all bent over. You see, some of y'all get bent over because of a line at Walmart. <laughs> Amen. Now, now, some of you, that don't bother you. But let you get hung up at a red light. Come on now. You see, the devil has a way of crippling us where we're most vulnerable. And you see, some of you have been just carrying the same load for so long, it's finally broke you to the point that you can't get back up. And you see, here's the thing. You came to church in one of two ways this morning. I believe that. You were either so crooked that you can't get straight, or you're so straight you think you can't get crooked. Jesus deals with both in this text. Now, boy, I'm glad that Jesus doesn't require us always to leave church the way we came to church. Mm -mm, uh -uh. Notice verse number 12. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmities. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now, now, certainly something supernatural 
has transpired in this woman's life. She can't lift herself up, but Jesus does for her what she couldn't do for herself. Now we know the end of the story. She's healed, and when she's healed, she's healed according to the text immediately. Look to your neighbor and say, God can do in a minute what I couldn't do in a lifetime. But it's by way of process. Follow the process. And when Jesus saw her, the text does not say when she saw Jesus. No, it says when Jesus saw her. Because she couldn't see Jesus. Why is that? Because she's like this. And while I'm thinking about it, if you'll remember, women in Jesus' day didn't get to sit on the front pew. That was where the Jewish men sit. They were behind the men in another section, almost another room. Now here's the amazing thing. Jesus sometimes stood up to teach. Sometimes he sat down to teach. Now, we're not told in this occasion which it is, but what we are told, that whether he was standing up or sitting down, he saw her. Through all of the men that were standing there, surrounded by all of the women around her, hunkered down as she was, nobody could see her, but Jesus saw her. Boy, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that while... I might not see you. Jesus sees you. Y'all act like I just told you Deacon Billy saw you. No, 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 listen. The text says Jesus, with everything going on, saw what's Jesus doing? He's teaching, he's preaching. And yet, it's almost like he stops the sermon. We're not even told what text he was preaching from. We don't get to hear one word of the sermon. It's almost like Jesus is teaching. He sees her and stops everything. Wow. Now, here's an interesting fact. The same word translated saw in your text is ido in the Greek. In other places in your Bible, the same word is translated no, K-N-O-W. In fact, Jesus uses this Greek word when he says, your heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of. So Jesus he didn't only see her visibly, he saw her internally. He didn't just see her physically, he saw her and knew her spiritually. 
Did you know God don't need you to tell him everything that you're going through? He knows it already anyhow. Now, I'm not saying don't tell him. Certainly, we ought to tell him. And we ought to pray. But boy, isn't it good to know that when you show up in a church that Jesus shows up in on Sunday morning, he ought not only sees you, but he knows you. Boy, some of y'all act like that scared you. And it ought to. Because while some of us show up crooked and need to be made straight, some of us showed up straight and need to be made crooked. Jesus knew. I'm happy to report to you this morning that though you came here all bent over on the inside and nobody even knows what it is that's got you doubled over, Jesus is well aware of where you're at and what you're going through. He saw her, but secondly, if the text stopped right there, the miracle doesn't happen. Because when he saw her, the Bible says he called her unto... Didn't say the altar, did it? Didn't say he called her to the healing team. Didn't say he called her to be anointed. Didn't say he called her to come get a prayer cloth. Didn't say he called her to mail in $50 to the televangelist. No, he called her unto him. Now, boy, I sure am glad that Jesus said his sheep know him and they follow him. That he calls his sheep by name. Boy, isn't it a wonderful truth that your name is known in heaven? That Jesus not only knows where you're at and what you're going through, he knows who you are. Knows you personally and individually, and he calls you unto himself. Now, if Jesus would have called her, and that would have been the end of the story, the miracle could have never taken place. Because she had to come to him. And, and, and you see, when Jesus says, come, sitting here ain't getting it done. When, 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 when Jesus says, come to me, standing up straight for the crowd ain't going to help your hurting back. You, you, you've got to, Jesus took the initiative to call but you got to work up the grit to come. Now, this wasn't easy for this woman, I'm sure. Y'all follow me just a minute. She, she's in the back of the church. She, she's, she's a back row Baptist. You know what I'm talking about, Bill? And, and she, she's humped over. She can't stand up straight yet. Now, think about what Jesus is asking her to do. Not only is she to go to him on the Sabbath, that's what the ruler had a problem with, but she's supposed to walk right up where she ain't even supposed to be at. They don't let women up here at the pulpit in the synagogue. But Jesus says, come on. C come on. 
And, and, and see, here it is, friend. You need to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks about what Jesus calls you to do. If he's calling you to him, you better quit worrying about what your friends and your family and your church folks are going to think, what your pastor thinks. Best thing you could do is get up and get yourself to Jesus. And so he sees her and he calls her and then he speaks to her. Woman, thou art loosed from your infirmity. This thing that you've been struggling with for 18 years, I'm setting you free from. That pain that you've had down in your soul that you've been battling with. That load that is too heavy for you to keep carrying on your own. I'm lifting it up to you today. Satan might think he's got you out all wrapped up, but I'm about to cut the cord that's got you bound down. Woman, thou art loosed. And she still ain't healed yet. I'm thinking to myself, my Lord, my God, I, I read throughout the scripture, Joel. Where Jesus just says a word and people's healed. But for some reason, he doesn't stop there with this woman. Because the text doesn't say that immediately she was healed until Luke tells us that Jesus laid his hands on her. Oh, Lord, could you just, can you just imagine for a moment? She's not looked anybody in the eyes, face to face, for 18 years. And Jesus, ever so tenderly, reaches down, and I just believe, places a hand on each one of her cheeks and begins lifting her up. And she not only stands, but the first face that she sees She's looking into the eyes of God. Oh, this ain't about the woman no more. Jesus reaches down. And because she can't lift up herself, he lifts her up. And she's looking in the very face and the eyes of of God in the flesh. Can you remember? Oh Lord, I just wish I had two or three people in here that could remember a time when you were all bent out of shape. I mean, when your load was so heavy you couldn't stand up on your own. When though it might not have looked like it on the outside, on the inside, you felt like you come to church like this. And something transpired. Something happened. You know that Jesus saw you where you were sitting. He understood and knew what you were going through. And he was compassionate and kind enough to reach down and lovingly pick you up from where you were to where he would have you to be. And you was able to see God anew and afresh like you hadn't seen him in a long time. Somebody just missed a good place to shout right there. Jesus is in the business of making crooked people straight. Aren't you glad? Bunch of crooks. Now we know that she was healed. 
because we see the proof of it. The power of it was beyond her ability. Jesus had to do what she couldn't do. But the evidence, I believe, in that she was touched. Oh, Lord, God, somebody look to your neighbor and say, I need a touch. Be careful now because if you get a touch, you're going to act different. She'd been showing up for church for 18 years, I believe. I believe she was faithful. I believe that's what Jesus saw. Maybe that drew his attention. Was, was He saw her commitment under the crucible of her suffering. She kept putting one foot in front of the other. Even though she couldn't stand up, she got to church. And so he unleashed his power. But I want to submit to you that there's some evidence this woman got touched by God in the text. Because the Bible says she was made straight immediately. She was made straight and glorified God. There's your proof. There's your evidence. She ain't getting on Facebook talking about what Fauci done for her. Oh, she's not bragging on the the doctors over here at Novant or over there at New Hanover. The Bible says she glorified God. For 18 years, I believe she's been showing up at church. But for 18 years, she's kind of just been singing along. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Singing along. Joining somebody else in their song. But when Jesus touched her, she began singing alone. She don't need no help to give God some glory now. You see, I believe when God touched her ligaments, it affected her lips. She glorified God. We could say it this way. She worshiped God. She praised God. She gave God glory for what he had done in her life. Listen to me. You'll get undignified. If Jesus ever really touches you. Because if he touches you, you can't help but thank him and tell somebody. You can't help but give him praise and glory and honor as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. When the great physician does what only the great physician can do. Then the response ought to be the fruit of our lips giving thanks To his name. Hey, could I ask you something this morning? What do you got to be grateful for? Oh, you've told us all week what you got to be mad about. But what do you got to be grateful for? When's the last time? Rory, I am glad that I am saved. Hallelujah. If, If all God ever done was saved us, that's reason enough to praise him from now on through eternity. But is that all he ever done for you? No, 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 friend. What, what's God done for you this week? What, what, what's God done for you last night? What's God done for you this morning? You, you, you see, we can focus so easily on everything going bad when this is our position. When all you got to do is look around, 
You can find something to complain about, can't you, Billy? We'll get to him in just a second. But, but when God straightens you out and you begin to look up and see what God has done, then God ought to get the glory for it. And, and could I say this? I'm not talking about your tone or your tenor, your ability to not or not be able to carry a note. But what I am saying is if God has touched your ligaments, it ought to have affected your lips. You ought to be able to give him some praise this morning. Somebody ought to be able to shout that they're able to get out of the bed and come to church this morning. She glorified God. Now, that, that, that's, that's how God, that's how Jesus helps crooked people get straight. Now, let's look at how he makes straight people crooked. The Bible says, and the ruler of the synagogue, in verse number 14, answered with indignation. <sighs> to answer with indignation means to regard as unworthy. It was an insult to both the dignity and the deity, the very worthiness of Jesus. He answered with indignation. We, we could say it this way with hatred in his heart. He was a critic of Christ. When I say critic, understand I appreciate constructive criticism. And that helps us get better. What I don't appreciate and I don't think God appreciates is constant complainers. What was he complaining about? Because that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath day. I have a hard time buying that. I mean, sister gets touched by God. Been hunkered over, hurting for 18 years. Jesus shows up at church. Lays a hand on each cheek, lifts her up, and all he can concern him with, self with, is what day of the week it was done on. No, he's just looking to find fault. But he masquerades, he hides his hatred behind holiness because he done it. On the Sabbath day. You know the one thing that I've noticed about constant complainers, critics, is they're cowards. I know this don't feel good and this ain't shouting ground, but did you notice that the text says, and he said to the people. Now who's he angry with? He's bitter toward Jesus. But when he goes to complaining, he don't talk to Jesus. According to the text, he complains to the people. Now, here, here's, here's, 
here's the thing about complainers that differentiates them from constructive critics. Rather than go to the person they've got a problem with, they want to humiliate them publicly rather than going to them privately. Some of y'all know who I'm talking about, don't you? You've had people say things behind your back that they ain't got the courage to say to your face. But they'll do it in such a way that you'll hear it eventually. By the way, when you're complaining, Jesus is catching every word of it. Don't matter who you're talking to, he knows what you're saying. Because he heard it, and when he heard it, he dealt with it. He didn't address Jesus directly, but indirectly. I've noticed that those constant complainers, they still work today like they did in Jesus' day. What I mean is, I'm familiar with people who, who want to criticize me publicly on Facebook, but don't want to sit down with me privately and discuss issues. It's one thing to be a cowboy behind a keyboard, but keyboard cowboys are cowards. Jesus expects of, no, he requires of us that when we have complaints among ourselves, and we do, don't we, Joel? We, we people, and as people, we got problems, and, and our biggest problems is people. So, so we, we have complaints and criticisms. And so Jesus teaches us as Christians how to deal with, with conflict, complaining, and criticism. In fact, he says, if you're going to the altar, if you're going to the church on a Sunday morning, and you're going to give a gift, on your way to the altar, as you're pulling out your wallet, you remember that you've got an issue with your brother, alt against your brother, anything, then leave your gift. Don't take it home with you. You might not bring it back. Just lay it there at the altar and then go to Charlie and say, Charlie, it's time for you and me to sit down and have a talk. We've got some issues that we need to resolve. Jesus says that's how you deal with complaints and controversy. That's the hard thing, but it's the right thing. And Christians are expected to do the right thing, not the cowardly thing. And so Jesus deals with it, and this is how he deals with it. He's blasting Jesus publicly, but Jesus addresses him personally. And have you ever noticed that when Jesus has got a problem with somebody, he don't sugarcoat his sermon? He don't beat around the bush about it. He don't mask it, hide it. 
He don't even tiptoe around people's feelings. Listen to what Jesus says, you hypocrite. Wow. What would it be like to go to church with Jesus? Well, if you're all straightened up and need to be broken down, it's painful. <laughs> Anybody ever had Jesus deal with you in a way that didn't feel good? I, 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 I'm talking about get up in your grill kind of deal with you. Just lay it out face value what the problem really is. And Jesus says, here's what your real problem is. You're a hypocrite. You, you, you see, you're angry with me for doing for people what you do for your animals every Sabbath. I, I loose this woman. Aren't you going to leave church this afternoon and, and go home? And unloose your ox or your ass, your, your, I still have a problem with that word in church. Loose your donkey and, and lead them out and, and let them have water. You're treating your pets better than you're treating people. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This ain't a 2,000-year-old issue. There's still a lot of hypocrisy in the church, Joel. I mean, there's a lot of folks that treat pets better than people. That love your shepherds more than you do your siblings. Come on. I, I had a, a, a pastor visit our church one time. And in his sermon, I don't even remember what he preached on. But I remember him saying something to this effect. Some of you have a problem and that you care more about your pets than you do people. And that's all he said. And there was a woman sitting back there. She got up and stomped out of the church. Angry. Listen to me. That's hypocrisy. To, to, to love animals more than people. Pets more than your church folk. And I told you, it's not an Old Testament concept or just a Jesus Day concept. You know what disturbs me? Is the Christians, the people that call themselves Christians that I know. That will go down here to the beach. And they'll, they'll, they'll spend effort and resources and time building fences around turtle nests. Protecting their eggs. That don't bother me. I, I think that's okay. I, I want them little turtles to waddle themselves right on out into the ocean. I'm not saying go stomp. Don't tell nobody. Preacher said we need to be killing turtles. That's not what I said. But if you got a problem with somebody stepping on a turtle egg. And it don't bother you. That babies are being slaughtered in their mother's womb. That's the height of hypocrisy. The church is full of it. Jesus says you're a hypocrite. It's hypocrisy. 
to stand in church on Sunday morning and lift your hands up toward heaven and declare He made them in the beginning male and female and fly your rainbow flag on Facebook Monday morning. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. And Jesus did not sidestep the issues of his day and time. And when they heard it, the Bible says they were ashamed. They came to church like this. And they left like this. The word ashamed means humiliated. And they should have been. It means they felt emotional turmoil and embarrassment because he said these things. Every sermon ain't supposed to pump you up. Every word from God ain't supposed to make us feel good. You can't never get saved till you've first been shamed. There is no conversion without first experiencing conviction. There will never repentance take place if rebuke is left out of the gospel. And they felt shame. Did you know I wasn't even planning on teaching from this text until last night? In fact, I was doing a word study on an entire different sermon. I was studying out the word ashamed to preach on the subject when Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, then I will be ashamed when I return. That's what I was planning on preaching on. And you see, here's, here's, here's the problem is our church is filled with hypocrisy when we can't stand for the same word on Monday that we proclaim on Sunday. So, Jesus straightens the crooked and he bends the straight. Could I ask you something in closing this morning? Did you come to church in any of those two positions? Did, did you come? I'm not talking about physically. But did you come in here this morning like this? I, I don't care how spiritual you think you are. Life has a way of bending you. Satan has a way of pushing the right buttons that Fold you over. That double you over. And so I, I, I just say maybe somebody besides me come to church this morning like this. You know, the load was just too heavy to carry this morning. I, I got some good news for you. If that's you, even if you're joining with us online, I, I got some good news for you. Jesus sees you. He sees past the crowd. He sees past the mask that you wore in here today. 
He not only knows where you are, he knows what you're going through, and he knows how to lift you up. But I want to be honest, because I'm quite certain. There's some folks sitting right here this morning and some joining with us online. You didn't come in here all broken down this morning. Truth be told, you come walking pretty tall. How, 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 how do you know? Because there ain't never nothing wrong with your house. I don't live there. And you need to stop living in the fantasy that you're living in. Because if you live in your house, sometimes there's something wrong in your house. You see, I believe there's a little bit of this legalist in every one of us. All we know about him is he's a complainer. And he thinks he's all straight. If all you got to talk about is how bad the weather is, there's a little bit of him in you. If, if, if all you got to talk about is how bad of a president and vice president we got, there's a little bit of him in you. I ain't bragging on them, but I got other things to talk about. If you're consumed with everything that's gone wrong and you can't see anything right, there's a whole lot of him in you. And, and, and I want to suggest to you that this morning, before you can ever walk out here really straight, you've got to first get crooked. We stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed. <clears throat> I'm going to ask Vision to make their way to the platform. And I want to pray with you before we even begin singing and op- or opening up for invitation. There are those here this morning gathered with us online today. Truth be told, life has got you broken down. Might have been 18 years, might have been longer, might have been less. But the fact of the matter is, you're in a place where you cannot help yourself. You've never been saved, so you're finding it difficult to look up for help. I want to submit to you this morning that though you cannot see him, Jesus can see you. And he, he's not as interested in how broken you are as you might think he is. You see, while people might look and see your faults and your failures, all of your shortcomings, Jesus knows they're there, but he's more interested in what you can become than what you are. And and you see, I, I believe that the same tenderness he felt for this woman in the church, he feels that same love and compassion for those outsider walls. You see, Jesus didn't love me or begin loving me when I started coming to church and wearing a suit and carrying a Bible. The Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us. 
and that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I believe when I was broken, being over out there in a world carrying a load of addiction that I could not lift myself up. Jesus not only saw me, but he called me. And he just said, come here. Don't worry about changing yourself or you'll never come. He just said to the woman, come here, bring all of your brokenness. Bring all of your problems. Bring all of your failures. And just come. And I'll make you a promise based on the authority of God's word. That if you'll come to him, if you'll respond to his invitation, he'll raise you up when you've not been able to raise up yourself. He'll take the load off. In fact, he's already carried it. All of your sin, all of your shortcomings, Jesus carried to the cross of Calvary. He carried your weight. Died the death that we deserve. Was buried and three days rose again from the dead. I want to submit to you that when he rose from the dead, he didn't carry that weight out of the tomb with him. He left it there. And so he stands by the right side of the Father this morning. I believe he's as much here in this sanctuary as he was there. And he says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest for your souls. If that's you and you've never been saved today, I, I would invite you to come to Jesus right now, right there where you're at. And just say to him, Heavenly Father, I confess that I am broken. That I've sinned. And my sin has offended you. And I'm sorry. I believe you're calling me to yourself. So I come. I come asking for forgiveness. And for eternal life. I'm asking for you to send your spirit to live inside of me and lift me up. Save me from myself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. If you prayed that prayer and you believe that today that you got saved, I, I wish that you'd tell somebody.
you're here, I want you to tell somebody before you leave here. The Bible says that if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. No such thing as closet Christianity. I encourage you to tell somebody. If you're following with us online, just drop us an email. Um, reach out to one of us in a instant message on Facebook. If you come this morning to church, you're a saint. And you made the effort, man. You, you waddled on in here <laughs> under your load. Then I want to encourage you this morning. Find yourself a place in this altar. Don't come to me. Come to him. Let him lift you up. As we begin to sing, Joel, if you'll come to the front. Maybe you want me, Pastor Joel, to pray with you. We'd be more than happy to do that. But Jesus is who you need. Amen. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your love and kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Lord. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The angels stepped down from
that sealed the promise. Your buried body begin to breathe out of the silence. The roaring lion declared the grave have no claim on me. Then came the I was just standing here thinking, I wonder, Joel, what that woman looked like walking home that day. Can you imagine? She she walked straight in 18 years, brother. We don't know how old she was. You know, she could have been young. She could have been old. I bet if she was 99 and a half years old, she is skipping on her way to the house that day. If she wasn't cutting spiritual cartwheels. Amen. Amen. Boy, wouldn't it do us some good? Wouldn't it do our community? Wouldn't it do our families some good? If we went home from church today, like I'm sure she went home on that Sabbath. Well, I'll shout for you. Hallelujah. I don't mind getting undignified. <laughs> Be all straight up if you want to. You so straight, you crooked. <laughs> Father, God, I'm so glad. Lord, I am so glad that you are in the business of making crooked people straight. And Lord, I have to confess that I am, I'm equally grateful that when you find me so straight I think I can't be crooked, you have a way of showing me. 
I, I thank you for your word, not only when it comforts, but God, I thank you for it when it cuts. I thank you that for some reason, God, I'm thinking about Miss Sheila this morning. And I often wonder why. God, why ain't you healed her? And then I read the story of this lady, and, and God, I don't know why. I don't pretend to know why, but I do know that whatever pain she went through for 18 years, somehow it, it, it worked out for her good because you have declared that all things, even the painful experiences, work together for the good and to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. So God, while we still hope and pray and believe that you can heal Miss Sheila and all of those that we're praying for, Terry Hewlin and Hugh and, and Miss Terry and Jerry and God, so many on our prayer list. We know that you're able but help us to be content to know that you have a purpose in where they are. And that ultimately you'll receive the glory for it. Help us to be more, more compassionate to those around us who can't lift themselves up. Help us to bear the burden of our brothers and our sisters in Christ who are struggling. We'll be careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor for everything that you do. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.